morning, if you would please, and if you'll turn them to the book of John, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, if you please find chapter number 20. For those of you that are visiting with us today in our last 16 months of study on Sunday mornings, we've been going through John's Gospel, and we've been studying the hours prior to the betrayal of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, prior to his arrest and the crucifixion. And actually, we aren't scheduled in our study to come to the resurrection until sometime in, in June or July. So what we're going to do today is fast forward in the book of John. And this year, we're going to celebrate Easter twice. Because I'm going to preach from this resurrection passage today. And then sometime later, a few weeks later, as I said, probably June or July, I'm going to preach from this same passage once again. But I always remind you that here at Berean Baptist Church, we don't celebrate Easter one time a year anyway. We celebrate it every time we come to church on Sunday morning because that's the day that Jesus arose from the grave. Some of you have probably heard of the Bible teacher J. Vernon McGee. He passed away in 1988, but they still have some of his radio programs on the air, and you might listen to those from time to time. But uh, Dr. McGee had a listener who wrote him a letter, one of his regular listeners, and she said to Dr. McGee, she said, Our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus swooned. He didn't die, he swooned, and his disciples nursed him back to health. She said, What do you think? And Dr. McGee replied, Dear sister, Beat your preacher with a leather whip, nail him to the cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, and then you see what happens. Jesus didn't swoon. Jesus did, in fact, die on the cross, and they died on the cross, and they took his body down from the cross, and they put him into a tomb. And for three days, his body lay there lifeless, until early on Sunday morning, and Jesus came out of the tomb. Now, in the scriptures that we're going to read today, we have an account of what the disciples saw when they looked into the tomb of Jesus. And I'd like for us today as well, we're going to take the opportunity this morning to look into the tomb of Jesus and to see what was there. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word this morning. We're looking at John chapter 20, and we'll read beginning in verse number 1. The Gospel of John chapter 20, verse number 1. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved. And that's John's way of describing himself. He's speaking of himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter went therefore, and that other disciple, that's speaking of John, and came unto the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, 
where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for this great resurrection story that we read in the Word of God. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ who came to this world and willingly gave his life as a sacrifice for sin. And Lord, as we think today about the death of Christ and the resurrection... We just ask you, Lord, you might open the hearts of people today that they might be able to see Jesus lifted up, the risen Lord, and know that indeed he is the Savior of the world. Bless with this message today. Bless the people as they hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. About six years ago, I preached a message entitled, What You Can See When You Look at the Cross. And I know that everybody here is a member of Berean Baptist Church. You remember everything that I said in that message, and you know all the points that I made. Right. How many of you remember that? I don't think anybody does. Well, this morning I've titled the message, What You Can See When You Look Into the Tomb. And it might surprise you this morning that as we look into the tomb, I want to tell you that that tomb was not actually empty. There wasn't a body there. But there certainly was proof that a body had been there, and the evidence that he was there is really quite remarkable. Now, let's think for just a moment, if you would, uh, about what's going on here, what took place, why Jesus was in that tomb. About three and a half days before the scripture that we've just read this morning, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was very quickly ushered before the high priest for a mock trial. And there the high priest declared him guilty of blasphemy and then said that he had claimed that he was the son of God. And so therefore they said, he's guilty of blasphemy. Early the next morning, they took Jesus and they took him before the Roman governor, Pilate. And Pilate would have let Jesus go, but the people insisted that he be crucified. Now, Pilate, in order to appease the people and because he wanted to calm them down, he didn't want there to be a riot, Pilate consented to have Jesus crucified. An expert with a whip was called in and he cruelly beat Jesus. They took a cat of nine tails and with precision and skill, they used that against his back and they beat him until the back of Jesus was simply a bloody mess. And the Bible tells us that after they had finished beating him and just going over and over with this whip and striking him in the face with their hands, that Jesus was nearly unrecognizable as a human being. Then at nine o'clock in the morning, they took Jesus up to the top of Golgotha and there the soldier stretched him out over a wooden cross and they drove nails into his hands and his feet. Then they hoisted up that cross with Jesus hanging there, and they dropped the cross into a hole. And as that hole found the bottom, or the cross found the bottom of that hole, his whole body shook with pain. 
And he writhed in agony as he hung there. Then for the next three hours until 12 o'clock noon, Jesus was hanging. And during that time, he uh, spoke various things in conversation with the crowd. Most notably, he spoke to the two thieves that were hanging on either side of him. But at 12 o'clock noon, there was something very strange that happened. There was a thick darkness that came over the whole area. Personally, I believe that that darkness came upon the whole world. And it was in those three hours from 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the afternoon that Jesus actually suffered for the sins of, of men. And as he hung there, the heavenly father turned his back on Jesus. He forsook his own son as he suffered for sin. Then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the darkness ended. And at that moment, Jesus gave up his life. He voluntarily let the, the life expire from him. And then, normally, the bodies would have hung there on the cross for days, but the next day happened to be a Sabbath day, and so they came to take the bodies down from the crosses. They weren't allowed to leave them there over the Sabbath. So the soldiers came, and and in order to hasten the deaths of the men that were hanging there with Jesus, the soldiers broke the legs of those that were hanging on either side of him. But when they came to Jesus, who was on that middle cross, they saw that Jesus was already dead. Now, that was unexpected because a man normally wouldn't die in that amount of time. But Jesus was dead. And so a soldier took a spear and he thrust it into Jesus' side. After that, Jesus was taken down from the cross and his body was prepared for burial. There were two men, oddly enough, who were secret disciples of Jesus and they claimed the body of Jesus. These were Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they took him down from the cross and they took him to anoint his body with burial spices. Now, as we think about the death of Jesus, all the things that surround the death, I think, of, are, are intensely interesting to talk about. But now we come to the place where things really start to heat up. Because as far as anyone could tell, the death of Jesus on the cross was pretty much like any other person's death who died that way. There were hundreds of, him, uh, hundreds of people before him who had died in crucifixion. They, they died on crosses. And so looking at the death of Jesus up to this point, it appeared like it was pretty much like the average death on a cross. There were some anomalies, to be sure, some different things that happened. But when they took Jesus down from the cross, they were absolutely sure that he was dead. When Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus claimed that body, there was no doubt in their mind at all that Jesus was actually dead. And so they took the body and they began to prepare it for burial. First of all, they would wash the body. They would clean it up from all the blood that was on it. And then they would begin a process that would take several hours to complete. They wrapped the entire body with strips of linen And they very carefully inserted spices and aloes into the folds of that linen as they wrapped the body of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that there were about 75 pounds of spices and aloes that were used in that process. They used things like uh, uh, this aromatic fragrances for the body. And they used myrrh. And this myrrh was like like a fragrant gum that stuck to that linen and caused it to adhere to the body. So they wrapped the body up, that was their custom, and they would have left the the shoulders and the neck and the head bare. They didn't normally do that. And so what they did, instead of wrapping the neck and the head and the shoulders, they took a turban and they would wrap that around the head of Jesus. 
Then after they were done with that, then they took the body of Jesus and they very carefully placed it into the tomb. And the body lay there for three days until sometime early on Sunday morning. Now, all of that I've said just now is introduction for what we are about to see in that tomb. Now, I want you to think about it for just a moment. What if you had been able to arrive at that tomb at the very moment that Jesus arose from the dead? What would you have seen if you could be there at the moment that Jesus arose? Would you have seen Jesus sit up and then begin to struggle in those grave clothes? And would you see him begin to try to peel the grave clothes off, shake himself to try to wake himself up, and then hopefully figure out some way to get out of the tomb? Is that what you would have seen if you came? Well, not at all. Because really, if you had been there at the very moment that Jesus arose from the grave, you would have seen his body come through those grave clothes. You would have seen Jesus get up and walk out of that tomb, a tomb that was sealed. Now, one thing you need to understand is that the angels didn't come and roll away the stone in order to let Jesus out of the tomb. Jesus could get out of the tomb. The angels came and rolled away the stone so that the disciples could look in and they could see what was there. So if you went and, and saw Jesus as he, as he arose from the grave at, that grave at that very moment, what you would have seen was those grave clothes laying there. And as the body came out, it would collapse. The grave clothes would collapse under the weight of all the spices that were there. And then you would see that turban that was placed upon his head lying in a different spot away from the rest of the grave clothes. Now, that, that turban that he was wearing didn't have all the spices, didn't have the weight, so it probably would have retained its shape. And, and it would have been separated, as I said, from the space from here on the shoulders, the neck and the head, away from the rest of the grave clothes. Now, as we look at the narrative in John, this is exactly what they found. In verse number two, it says that Peter and John ran to the tomb after they heard the news from Mary Magdalene that the body wasn't there. And John, coming up to the tomb, was the very first one to arrive. And he peered into the tomb. He looked in, but he didn't go inside. But he did notice something. The grave clothes were laying right where the body would have been. Now, there was something very peculiar about that. Because if the body was gone, why weren't the grave clothes also gone? And if the body was stolen, as some later reported when they refused to believe in the resurrection, they said the disciples had stolen the body, why wouldn't the people who stole the body take the grave clothes with them? Who would have taken time to unwrap all of those grave clothes from that body so they could steal it? And further, it just didn't make sense because if they did steal the body and they took off the grave clothes, then why weren't they all laying in a mess on the floor being unwound? And why did they find them laying exactly as they were? Well, when John came in or looked in, he saw something that was very peculiar. The narrative in verse number five says that John didn't go in, but Peter, arriving just a moment later, pushed John out of the way and he did go inside of the tomb. And there's some interesting things here in the scriptures, the words that are used to describe the different way that they saw what was in the tomb. Because the Bible says that John looked in, he saw what was in there, and the word that is used there is simply that he gazed. He saw it, he looked. But there's another word that describes Peter. Because when he went in and he looked, the word changes. And the Greek word is the word theorio. 
It's the same word from which we get theory or theorize. And so when Peter went into the tomb, he very carefully inspected what he saw there. He scrutinized the whole scene to see what had taken place. Well, when he saw the grave clothes that were lying there undisturbed, and he saw the turban that was lying separately, neatly separated from where the rest of the body was, that was an amazing thing. And so as Peter was examining it, and he was looking it all over, John decided to come into the tomb. And the Bible says that when he came in and he looked, then he understood. He believed exactly what Jesus said. The Bible says that he believed. John was the first one to believe that Jesus arose from the dead. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus did exactly what he said that he was going to do. He arose from that grave. So he became the first to believe in the resurrection. Well, this empty tomb was not quite empty because in the tomb was contained all of the evidence that was needed to believe that there was actually a resurrection. And God had very carefully planned this out. Can you imagine it... it, it would have held up that the body was stolen if the grave clothes weren't there. And if the, they had been laying there in a mess on the floor of the tomb, then that would say that, yes, he did swoon, he did arise. And what that lady's preacher said may have been true. Jesus wasn't really dead when he was on the cross, when he was taken down, but they just revived him and he came back to life. Well, that just isn't what had happened at all. God very carefully worked this out, and the evidence substantiated the claim that the disciples made that Jesus arose from the grave. Now, I want to turn your attention for just a moment another way, and I'd like for us to see some things that are in this tomb. We're very quickly going to fill out the outline today, so if you want to be ready for this, we're going to look in the tomb. And the first thing that we see as we look there are the consequences of sin. Here's a tomb. This is a grave. And physical death is a consequence of sin. And most notably, I tell you this morning that it was for sin, and it was, was for sin alone that Jesus had to go to the cross. He went to die for sin. But I want you to notice as we look into this tomb and we think about sin's consequences, that what we actually see here is a grave for somebody who didn't have to die. Here is a grave for somebody who didn't have to die. Now, Jesus Christ was God. He was with God the Father in eternity past. Jesus is the immortal God. And when he was in eternity, there was certainly nothing there that would say that it was natural that he would die. He'd been with the Father from eternity past. And should he so choose, there was never anything that could ever alter his circumstances where he would have to experience physical death. In fact, we know if God had so chosen, he never could have created the world if he didn't want to. And then after he created the world, he certainly didn't have to let sin enter into it. He could have kept that from happening. And then after he decided to create the world and let sin enter into the world, then he also could have decided just to leave man just as he was. Leave him condemned to death, justly condemned because of his sin. And then after he decided to do all of that, leave him justly condemned for his sin, he could have decided, there is no sacrifice. I don't want to make a sacrifice. I'm not going to send my son. And so Jesus, God very clearly could have decided he doesn't have to die. And so we have a tomb. We have a, a grave here that, that says that there's someone who didn't really have to die. Now, as you're looking into that tomb and you're peering into the grave and you see a, a place for someone who doesn't have to die, then we understand that God made a wonderful decision. 
God made his decision that he would redeem fallen man. And he said that he would take out of all of mankind some a people for his name, and he would make them special objects of his grace. And as we've studied in the book of John, he would give those as gifts to his son. He would save them. Now, sin, that's what made it necessary for Jesus to go to the cross. Sin made it necessary for Jesus to die on that cross. And it made it necessary that there would be a tomb that would receive the body of the God-man who gave his life for sin. Now, friends, if you go into a cemetery today and you look at all the grave markers are there, then you know that every grave that is there contains a body of someone who did have to die. The Bible says that it's appointed unto all men once to die. And of course, we know the Bible is true because we've never known anyone who came down to the last part of their life and somehow they were able to escape death. Everybody has to die. So every grave in the cemetery is for people who are sinners. The consequence of sin is death. And those graves, those tombs are for people who have to die. But Jesus was someone who never had to die. Then also, as we look into the tomb, we see the punishment of someone who never sinned. Punishment of someone who just had never sinned. One of the wonderful things about being an American is the judicial system that we have. Now, I know our judicial system's not perfect. It's certainly not. But if you think about it, would you rather be at the mercy of any other judicial system in the world than the one that we have in America? I mean, if you had been charged with a crime in a place like communist China, would you feel comfortable being under their judicial system? Or let's suppose that you're in one of the Muslim countries, Saudi Arabia. They cut off hands. They cut off feet. They cut off people's heads. Do you think you'd be comfortable under their judicial system? One of the things that we pride ourselves in is the justice that we have in America. And under our legal system, we would rather see 99 men go free who've committed a crime than to see one man unjustly accused and have to suffer for a crime that he didn't commit. But we need to understand that we stand accused in God's courtroom. And when we come into God's courtroom, we're not innocent people. We have sinned against God. We've committed our crime. But when we look at Jesus, we see someone who is totally innocent. He committed no crimes at all. Now, the crimes that we have committed, they're against a holy and righteous and infinite God. And as such, those crimes that we commit require infinite punishment. And I want to warn you today, that's exactly what the Bible says, that a person who dies without Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will suffer eternal punishment. That's God's requirement for the breaking of his law. But Jesus came, and he was an innocent man. Here was an innocent man that didn't go free. He was charged, although he didn't do it. He committed no crimes, and yet Jesus went to the cross. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And so when you look into that tomb, you see a tomb that held the body of a man who was innocent of all crimes. He never committed even one transgression. 
And yet he submitted himself to the death of the cross for those who had sinned. And Jesus willingly gave his life for people who were all guilty. So he went to the cross, he died, and because he died, his body was put into the tomb. Now, he never should have been there. He went there because he wanted to change the eternal consequences of sin. Jesus went into that tomb, and he came out of that tomb, and he lives today because he wanted to change. He wanted to change people who would believe in him from eternal death to eternal life. Is that something that you've discovered today? Have you met Jesus Christ? I mean, have you looked into his tomb and seen that he's not there? And do you understand that Jesus went there and came out of the tomb so that you would not have to die eternally? He did it so that you could have eternal life. Now I want you to see something else as you look into the tomb. You see the condemnation of sinners. This tomb reveals evidence that sin condemns. The grave clothes are there because someone has died. You don't need grave clothes for people who aren't dead. Someone died, and the tomb tells us that death is an, is an inevitable thing. I remember many years ago when my dad pastored a, a small country church in Kentucky. I was just a little boy, and behind the church, there was a cemetery. There was a cemetery, and there was lots of old graves there. I mean, there were people that died all the way back in the Revolutionary War. So, some very old graves. Our church, now this is many years ago, back in, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. But it was back in the, back in the early 60s when I, was a, when I was a kid and going to church there. But our church didn't have restrooms. Instead, we had an outhouse that you had to go to. And I don't know who thought of this, but they put the outhouse clear on the other side of the cemetery. And so when you had to go, you had to walk through the graveyard. You had to go through the cemetery to get to the outhouse. Now, I can tell you, at nighttime, you only had one choice if you had to go. You have to walk through the cemetery. Now, today, I wouldn't be afraid at all to walk through a cemetery at night. But back then, when I was a kid, if you took bets that I would be scared, you'd be right. I was terrified to go through there. I was scared to death to go to the cemetery, go through that cemetery after dark. So I'm going to make a confession to you today. As a little boy, I didn't always make it back to the outhouse. Sometimes I just stopped on the way before I actually got there. Now, I remember... I remember a friend of mine who had a, a little boy. I guess he was probably five or six years old. And, and um, he, he really liked to play army. And so his dad bought him some, a camouflage army outfit. And he really liked to wear this to church. But one day after church, this little boy, only five or six years old, he was standing out right there in the middle of the parking lot just taking care of business. And his dad came out of the church and said, What in the world do you think you're doing? And he said, Dad, it's all right. They can't see me. I'm wearing camouflage. (laughs) But I'm telling you, I was afraid to go through that cemetery. A cemetery is a reminder that death is coming. And if you haven't figured this out yet, death is coming. And when you look into that tomb, you're reminded that you're also going to die. The tomb is a reminder of the inevitability of death. We're condemned to die and it's coming. So here's what we have to do. You might want to write it down. We need to make preparation for separation. We're going to leave this life. One of the things that we all do when we get a little bit older, uh, we're encouraged to make preparations for our death. My wife tells me all the time that we need to get ready. 
I don't know why she tells me that. Maybe she's slipping something into my Kool-Aid. I don't know. But she says, we need to get ready. She says, we don't want to leave all of this stuff for our children to do when we, get di- when we die. And so we've got to get ready. We, we need to go purchase a burial plot. We need to go get our casket and get all of that taken care of. Well, I'll tell you, folks, I don't like to think about that. I don't really want to do that. I don't like to think about death. And so I don't want to make those preparations. I'm stubborn about it. But I want to tell you about a preparation that I did make. Years and years ago, I made a preparation that was very important. I made preparation for my eternal soul. I was sitting in a church, in our church, only seven years old, not further away from the pulpit than that front row right there. My dad was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, there was something that gripped my heart. And I knew at that very moment there was something very terribly wrong And something has to be done about this. And I began to think about death. Now, I was only seven years old. I was a pretty good boy. The first place that I was ever taken when I was born, my mom took me to church. That's the very first place I ever went. But I realized that there was something wrong with me. Uh, Something has to change here. And so I began thinking about death. Even though at seven years old, that's not what seven-year-olds think about. But I knew that I was going to die. And I knew that if I died, they would take me out there and they would put me in that cemetery and people would walk on my grave on the way to the outhouse. And so I was afraid of dying. I didn't want to die. And so I made the preparation and I did it by receiving Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I got ready to die right then. Now, I want to tell you something today. You don't know when death is going to come. And it's not time for you to think about your family when you die. Not at this moment. You need to think about yourself. Where are you going to go when you die? There's only two places you can go. One's to heaven and one's to hell. And I promise you this. If you make no preparation and you die, you will go to hell. Now's the time to prepare for heaven And there's only one way that you can do it, and that's to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Where are you going when you die? You're condemned to death, but you don't have to be condemned to hell. And you know why? Because Jesus came out of the tomb. Jesus came out of the grave, and he came out to change you from condemnation to consolation. And he came out to change you from eternal death to eternal life. So death separates us from life. It separates us from our loved ones. But I want you to make sure today that you know this. Don't let death separate you from God. Because that's what eternal death is. It's separation from God for all of eternity. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because you can look into the tomb. And you can see it's empty. There's no body there. Now that's where I want to finish today. You can look at the tomb and what else do you see? You see the conquest of the Savior. Peter and John ran to the tomb. They looked inside, and when they did, they didn't see a body. No bodies there. All they saw are grave clothes. All they saw was the evidence there is no body. There's been a resurrection. Let me quickly finish the Easter message today by telling you that Jesus is not in that tomb. And the tomb wasn't his tomb in the first place. Jesus borrowed that tomb from somebody. It belonged to one of those secret disciples. The tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. Now, you see, Joseph thought that he was giving the place of his burial to Jesus as a place where the body of Jesus would permanently stay. Now, Joseph had already made preparation. He picked out his grave plot. He picked out the place where he was going to be buried so his kids wouldn't have to worry about it. 
things changed. Plans changed. And so he gave that tomb to Jesus, never expecting that he could ever be buried there. But I want you to notice something about it. Jesus returned what he borrowed. If you go look at the tomb, what do you see? Well, if you look into most graves, I, I think you would expect to find a body. When I went to that cemetery behind the church, you know, I expected there were bodies there. I mean, if you opened up those graves, there would be bodies in those graves. In fact, I'd seen some of the people put into the graves, people that I knew. My dad had preached many funerals for people that were buried there. So there are, there are graves or bodies in those graves. But when you go to the tomb of Jesus, there's no body. Peter and John looked in and there's no body. Jesus didn't need that tomb for very long. After three days, he returned it to its rightful owner. And because there's no body, you know what that tells us? It tells us, now get this, Jesus will raise whoever believes. When you look into that tomb and you see it's empty, it means that Jesus, who had the power to raise his own body, has the power to raise yours as well. I want you to listen to Paul's argument for the resurrection of the body. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, and, and this is the great resurrection chapter, but he says there in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we testified that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Now there, Paul is testifying to the fact that Christ has risen from the dead. Now we've already seen that because we went and we looked into the tomb. We saw into the tomb with Peter and John. There's no body there. We saw the evidence that there is a resurrection. So there's really no argument here. Jesus arose from the dead. We've established that. No question about it. And so Paul goes on to say in the 51st verse of that same chapter, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that is saying written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here is the truth. All believers in Jesus will be raised from the dead. And as you look into that tomb, you can know assuredly that because Jesus is not there, because Jesus arose from the grave, that if you believe in him, you shall also rise. I just want to ask you today. Have you, have you, do you have that assurance? I mean, have you believed in Christ? Have you seen the empty tomb? You need to look inside. Jesus went to the cross. He went to the tomb. But he came out of that tomb to save you if you believe. Let me make one last statement for you today. Once you've seen the tomb, there's no need to go back. You know, there's a remarkable thing that in the Bible that we don't see. We don't see the disciples ever going back to the tomb of Jesus again. The Bible never says they ever visited that tomb. Once they saw that it was empty, what was the point? He's not there. Now, on Easter, 
There are many people today who will go out to the cemeteries and they'll put gray or put flowers on the graves, and that's because their loved ones are still in those graves. We never read in the Bible where the disciples ever went and put flowers on Jesus' tomb. There was no reason. There's nobody there. Jesus arose in a glorified body, and the scripture tells us he lives forevermore. Now, I'm speaking to you today. I'm standing here because Jesus lives. And if he's not alive, there's no hope for me. And friend, there's no hope for you. Today, they tell us that they know where the actual tomb of Jesus is. People go and visit there. Uh, it's, a, it's a pilgrim site for people who want to visit. And there are lots of people who do that. I don't understand why anybody wants to go look at the tomb. There's nobody there. When you see the tomb through the eyes of faith, folks, you'll never make a memorial out of that tomb. You don't need to visit again. You know that Jesus arose from the grave, and he arose for you. Well, I hope today that you understand just a little bit better what you can see when you look into the tomb. There's no body there, but we do find evidence. There's the consequence of sin. There's the condemnation of sinners. And best of all, there's the conquest of the Savior. Because he lives, you may also live. You need to trust Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for, again, for Jesus Christ who went into that tomb. We thank you for the Savior who suffered and bled and died, who freely gave his life, then went into that tomb. There he stayed for three days, and early on Sunday morning he came out. And as he came out, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And we know, Lord, that was for us. I just pray that you might speak to some heart today. You might show someone the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they might believe and they would know assuredly they're on their way to heaven. And when you come again, those bodies will rise from the grave. Lord, we thank you for all these things. Blessing this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.